hello, my beautiful family. Uh, yeah, you can tell I kind of got some kind of nastiness going on. And so um, I'm just at home kind of resting and getting over this chunk. I actually sound better today, but I will still take your prayers for sure. And so I thought instead of you having to listen to me try to squawk something out, that we would bring in our A-team today, like our first string today. And so you're absolutely in for a treat. Put your hands together and welcome our very own precious mama, Pastor Brenda Nevitt. Would you believe that it, even yesterday he kept saying, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. When he called me, I thought, well, you should have known a long time ago you couldn't do it because we can barely hear him. So um, just keep him your, in your prayers today. Well, it was uh, more than 50 years ago uh, in Mississippi. They were having a huge drought. I mean, it was really bad. They actually had um, harvest that was almost ready. It was in the spring. It was going to be a spring harvest, but they um, definitely had a huge drought, and it was now so bad that they were afraid they were going to lose their crops. It was at that time that um, a church decided that they were going to have an emergency prayer meeting. Most of the church were farmers, and they all came in with their overalls all of them brought their families. They all came for prayer, except for one. One came in with waiters. Do you know what waiters are? Do you guys know what waiters are? Well, they are um, boots. You put your boots on, rubber, and you pull them up, and they're all the way up to your waist. I haven't personally ever worn waiters, but I have seen them. Sometimes people use them for fishing or going in when the water's deep. As they prayed that night, um, everybody was kind of curious about the guy with waiters. And uh, so they got all finished, and they said, so what is the deal with the waiters? And he said, well, I'm going to be the only one that doesn't get wet. I, I have, don't you believe God's going to do this? And sure enough, he was the only one that night. As he went home, he was the only one that didn't get wet. And today, I want to encourage you. We're going to be talking about faith. The kind of faith that when it doesn't look like anything's happening, you're getting ready. See, he was ready with his waiters. He was ready with some substantial rain. He was ready for it to happen. He was believing it. It wasn't like, oh, maybe God will do that for me. No, he knew. He knew. And sometimes when we are believing God in faith, we have to take a step. We have to take a step forward, and that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. Your first scripture that we're going to see, you have some notes, so you can take some notes, but your, your scriptures will be up on the screen. Look at Joshua chapter 3, starting at verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. 
The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stumped in the middle of the Jordan stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So let me give you just a little bit, very quickly, a little bit of background of what has happened. Many of you know the story about the Israelites leaving Egypt, God sending plagues, and finally the Pharaoh allowing them to leave. And then they come up against the Red Sea. Remember the Red Sea miracle where the the, the sea parted and they were able to go across. Then they headed for the promised land. Now, many of you know the story about 40 years in the wilderness for these Israelites. But if you were to have taken your GPS out at that time, and you would have put in, I want to know from Egypt to the promised land, you would see that it was probably maybe 11 days. Now, there was a lot of opposition that would have come to them on those 11 days. So what God knew is they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for what, what opposition was going to come. They, they did not trust him enough. They would have run back to Egypt. So instead, he led them in a, the longer route. He led them in a way that they hadn't planned to go. Now, at this time, when you're seeing this scripture, a whole generation of people have died off. The people that left Egypt, they have died off. Now it's their children and grandchildren that are there. It is only two people out of that whole group still there, Joshua and Caleb. Do you remember the story of the spies? The only two that came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb, they are there, and Joshua is the one that Moses had put the mantle on and say, now it is up to you. You're actually going to go into the promised land. But you know what? There's going to be a lot of opposition. There's going to be opposition in your life as well. So I want you to write down for number one, the thing you're going to have to remember is don't be afraid to get your feet wet. Don't be afraid to get your feet wet. See, that scripture said it was at flood stage. Do you know at flood stage, you have no idea what you're stepping into? Um, when BG and I first got married, we lived in the Quad Cities. And um, there was two rivers that, that bordered those cities up there. And one was the Mississippi and one was the Rock River. And at flood stage, it was crazy because things could get swept away. When it came out of its banks, people would possibly even have damage on their homes or lose their homes completely if they, were, if they lived close to the river. You never know what you're gonna get at flood stage. Do you know when it's in its bank, see, you can at least see where you're gonna step down into, what you're gonna actually step on. You know, uh, nowadays they say all the time, at, if you see water with your car, they say don't go through it because you don't know what's there. You have no idea. And at flood stage, they have no idea. You know, they're going to have the priests step in. And do you know, priests are just like everybody else. They may believe God, but it is still scary to step into something you have no idea what you're stepping into. And although God has promised it, how's it going to happen? It's, it doesn't seem possible, yet they did it. So I'm going to back up a little bit and tell you what Joshua said to them before they were getting ready to go in. 
It's in Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and that is a lot of ites, isn't it? (laughs) So see, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. See, God was saying to the Israelites, you're, you're about ready to experience a miracle. And when things, and you're going to need to remember that because when things come against you like all those ites, when you have to face the battles that are ahead of you, you're going to need to remember this. You're going to need to remember what I've done for your ancestors that have gone before you. I parted the Red Sea. I sent manna. All those miraculous things. And you're going to need to remember, always remember this time. This place, when the river actually stops. They said um, in some of the commentaries, unlike the the Red Sea that parted, the river is different because it flows. It flows down from one place and, and it actually was going into the Dead Sea. But they said... And I don't, I'm guessing that just from some of the accounts of it, they said they felt like it was probably more like a gel, like it almost gelled and stopped and piled up. Wouldn't that be something to see? And then they went through on dry ground. At the end of chapter 4, Joshua says to them that he's going to take stones now and he is going to build a monument right beside the river. And he tells the people what he wants them to do is tell your children and your grandchildren and those that come after you, you tell them what happened here. Tell them what happened because that is going to let them know I am the God that does the miraculous. And do you know there are times that you're going to have to remember what God has already done? As a matter of fact, you're going to actually have to really rely on that through some tough times. And do you know it is really, really important that you start talking to your children and your grandchildren. And if you don't have children or grandchildren, then you start investing in the next generation and you start telling them some of the things God has done for you. And I want to tell you what that does. It builds faith in you because sometimes you've really forgotten how miraculous it is. And it will also build faith in them so that they can remember what you have done and what God has done through you. I'm going to tell a story now, and some of you have already heard this story, but I want you to just act like that you've never heard it before, okay? So it's new to everybody. In 2004, um, in October 31st of 2004, my uh, youngest daughter passed away very suddenly. It was a really the hardest thing I'd ever gone through in my life. And um, in November, sometime in November, BG came into our family room and he said, 
what I want to do is I want to get you a new chair for Christmas. And we had, we had replaced the other furniture in our family room probably three years before that, but I had kept my chair because I'm like, my chair is fine. I, it, it's a small chair. I fit in it. I like it. So it's, it's fine. But it had started to show a little bit of wear, and um, I think he knew, he thought I needed a project, something to do. And so um, he said, on Monday, we will, we will go get that chair. And so on Monday, uh, we got in the car, and we decided to head for Taylorville and look at furniture. And so he said, so what kind of chair are we looking for? And I said, well, we're looking for one of those big, oversized chairs, you know, like a couple people could sit in. And I want it either to kick out or have an ottoman, and, um, and I'd like it to be red. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, what? And I, so we went through the whole thing again, and he said, Brenda, you have a small chair. Now, and why do we, I don't even know if a, a big chair like that will fit in there. And I said, don't worry, I've already measured. I've already looked it up. I know I, it'll, it'll fit. He said, we have nothing red. I said, I know, but I need some happiness in that room, so we're going to start putting red in that room. And uh, so we took off for Taylorville. And you know God is so, so good. We walked into the first furniture store. We, we didn't buy it immediately, but in the first store, exactly what I wanted. It was red and it was on sale. It was meant to be, wasn't it? But the reason, like he couldn't understand the reason that I wanted the chair. And I, he said, you like a small chair. I don't get, why are we built, making this big chair? And, and I said, well, it's because I believe in God. And so I told him, when, when my daughter died, uh, my oldest daughter, Amy, lost her very best friend. My girls had always been best friends ever since they were little, little. And as a matter of fact, people would even comment, like they'd never seen girls that close. And, and um, they lived in an apartment together, and so they, they just loved each other. So not only when uh, Missy died did Amy lose her sister, but she lost her very best friend. And so it was a very, very difficult time. And, um, you know, I had prayed for my girls for years, a lot of years, and prayed for the right guy. You know, the, somebody that loved Jesus, somebody that lo- would fit good in our family. And I, I prayed for that for a long time. But I had really, since Missy had died, like I was praying, God, I, you know, I just pray for the right one to come along, that she, he's just who she needs, and that, and that, God, you will bring grandchildren to us. Because it is our, our heart's desire, and Amy has always loved kids, and her, she always just wanted to be a mom. And I said, God, that is my desire. And so I told my husband, I said, I have been writing that in my journal and praying that every day. And I said, I have decided that I am going to get this chair big enough that when my grandkids come, we can sit and we can read books and we can watch movies in that red chair. And I will tell you that um, that red chair sat with only me for six years. Um, Ella came along in 2010, but what joy it has been to have the three now that I have. And God has blessed me in so many ways. But what really is exciting to me is 
Sometimes when I sit in that chair and I sit all by myself, then sometimes, especially Ella, Ella's really, you know, sometimes girls are just notice things more, uh, little things maybe, and uh, she'll come running up and she'll climb in that chair with me and she'll whisper, I remember the story. Because I've told her the story. I told her and Ben the story of how I would pray for them, that I would, that I would have grandkids that would sit in this chair with me. And you know what? I was thinking the other day, I hope that she always remembers that story. Like, I know I always will. I hope she always remembers. I hope that one day we'll be telling her children about the story of Nana sitting in the red chair believing for grandchildren. Because sometimes we have to put our waiters on and decide that we're going to do something toward what God, what are the desires of our heart or what God has put in our heart. So number two, don't be afraid of how you look. You know, that guy that wore waders didn't care a bit what he looked like. And sometimes we have to be, be careful that, we don't, that we're not afraid of how we look. Don't be afraid of how you look. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one, came, no one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once again with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in the front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the sound, a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So what we have to realize, a couple things through this scripture is, the city of Jericho knows they're coming. They, they are ready. I don't know if they heard it through the grapevine or what, how they found out. Somebody called on the cell phone and said, I think they're coming. But they barred the, the, the gates. They made sure no one was going out, no one was coming in. And the thing about Jericho you need to realize is it wasn't a huge city, but it was very, uh, a very important city to that region. So taking that city would be a huge thing. And don't you think, I mean, we're looking at it after the fact. You know, you, you've got such wisdom, don't you, after the fact? But don't you think it's a crazy plan? It's a crazy plan. And they're going to go around, just marching around. They are going to look crazy, aren't they? I mean, really, I mean, don't you think the first day the people in Jericho are going, oh, they're marching. And then the se by second or third day, they're like, ooh, be afraid because they're marching again. They're, in other words, making fun of them because, like, nothing's happening. They're marching. But see, God wants us to rely on him. As a matter of fact, what the city of Jericho had not counted on is that God loves to use foolish things to show his power. There would be no one of the Israelites that could go back and say, hmm, we are really good warriors, aren't we? 
Look at us. We did it. No, no, no. This was going to be God. And God was saying, no, I need to show you that you're not doing it, but together we can. And I want you to realize it took a lot of faith on their part to just march. I mean, these people weren't just trying to get their steps for their Fitbit. You know, they were like marching and had no idea of the outcome. They were marching and had no idea it was going to work. See, looking back, isn't it easy to say, whew, so they're marching. But they had to have a lot of faith to keep doing it. What if they quit? What if they quit on day six? What if they quit? It would be easy to quit. All we are doing is marching around a city. This is the craziest. Then they're laughing at us. Inside Jericho, I know they're laughing at us. But, and I'm sure they're thinking, this is just not a good strategy. We, we are not taking anybody by surprise, but every day, just marching, just marching, just marching. And there are times in your own life that you're going to have to trust God and do something that doesn't make sense. I will tell you right now, there are times you're going to have to do something in your life if you are really trusting God that doesn't really make sense. I've seen it over and over in people's lives. It might not be like marching around the city, but there's stuff that we have to do to trust God. Do you know every week we ask you to trust God? I, I, I come out here a lot of times, I, they ask me some, quite often to do the offering. When I come out and ask you about tithes and offerings and say it's our time to give because we love God, which we do, because we want to serve God, which we do, and because the Bible says that's what we should do, right? But it is a trust thing to give of our tithes and offerings. Do you know that? We all know that, right? See, it sounds good until it comes down to that you have to do it, right? Oh, well, oh, isn't that nice? And then you get then you get old enough to have a job and realize, wait, that means I've got to give part of what I earn. And and money's tight. I know that. I've been there. I know what it's like. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to either write the check or maybe just say to them, go ahead and take it out. Go ahead and take it out of, of, my, of my checking account so I know it is already done. But every time I've done it, I've seen God's power in my life. I've seen him. See, it, doesn't, it does not make sense. If you told somebody that doesn't love Jesus that you give money to the church and they see that you aren't just barely making it, they are going to say, you are crazy. But God says, no, 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 trust me in this. Trust me in this. You give believing that I'm going to do it, and I will do it. The, the third thing, don't talk yourself out of it. Number three, don't talk yourself out of it. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, it says, When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. 
All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. And I want you to look at that verse, that last verse that says, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So I was thinking what some of you might be possibly thinking. So you would have been great at the, at the Jordan River because you like adventure. So you're like, let's believe God, let's jump in the Jordan River. And you maybe thought, I'm always willing to do my own thing anyway, and I didn't even care a bit that Jericho was laughing at us. I, I didn't mind marching. I, I wanted to get some extra steps in anyway, and I, I, I'm fine. I'm my own person. But then he said, we're not going to get to talk for seven days. For seven days, some of you are probably thinking you will surely die. <laughs> you will surely die. But now I want you to put yourself in their shoes. You have to walk around the city in silence every day for six days. Around a city, not a block. But I'm not sure um, how the, what the conditions were, but typically in the Middle East it's hot. And I was just thinking that if we were talking and marching, and pretty soon I might be just saying to Angie, it is really hot. And she's saying, oh, it is so hot. Why are we marching today? Is this day four or is this day three? I don't know. We're marching again. We are marching. Isn't this too hard to do? Can't we just, can't we just not do it today? I mean, this is, now we're on day five. Can't we just, maybe this isn't, this is the dumbest idea Joshua's had. You tell that to your friends. You know, I'm just thinking, are you sure? Because day one, I thought, oh, maybe this will, you know, maybe he's got a plan. And then by day six, you're like, surely he has a plan. We're still marching around this place. Do you know that sometimes we talk ourselves right out of what God wants us to do? And there's a difference between thinking it and actually start verbalizing it. And then there's a difference between saying it and having people come in agreement with you. Or somebody just starts complaining about stuff. Have you ever had that? And then pretty soon you're like, well, yeah, it is pretty rough. It is pretty hot. I don't like this situation. And we can talk ourselves out of the promise that God has put in our heart, the desire God has put in our heart. We can talk ourselves out of it. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, influenza B, the flu, influenza B, invaded our house. Now, we all had flu shots, so we should never have gotten influenza B. As a matter of fact, when Bennett, who was number one, went into the doctor's office and the nurse came out and had swabbed him and said influenza B, the doctor said, I want to go look at that test because surely not. I know he had a flu shot. But... Yes, we wanted to be the first of something, and we were the first that had influenza B and had already had a flu shot. So by the time two went down, number two went down, I mean, we were sanitizing everything. Like, you know, somebody touched that doorknob. Okay, let's, 
Lysol that, you know, and let's, you know, we were washing our hands and, and we were doing everything we could to not get that flu. But do you know something? We should be do the same kind of thing when people are saying things. When we know God has put something in our heart, people can say things and it, we need to realize that we can't go there. Yeah, what God has for you probably is going to be hard. I can't think of anything that God has really put in my heart, something big that wasn't difficult. But if we listen to people, if we listen to what people are putting into us, then it can really get tough. You know, in um, 1982... 1982, I know, was a very long time ago. But in 1982, uh, we actually went into ministry. It, I'm not good ever about remembering dates, but it was April 15th, 1982, because we, we moved from Moline to Jacksonville, and we mailed our taxes in a little town somewhere in between. And uh, so we were, we were headed to go in the ministry. We had been married for five years, we had two little girls, and uh, BG had just got promoted uh, probably six months or so before that to uh, a management job. He had a really, really good job, and um, he went in a couple weeks before and had told his boss the plan that he was quitting his job and he was um, going to go into ministry. And his boss's jaw almost hit the desk because he couldn't believe it. He's like, you're gonna what? And um, I, I will never forget what he said to BG. He said, um, when you get this ministry thing out of your system, you come back and I will, you will always have a job here. I will, you and I can make a lot of money, so you will always have a job here. And I, BG came home and, and told me about it. What we were doing didn't make sense. Not at all. We were giving up jobs to go to a church that had no youth to be the youth pastors. They, they had, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 people. It was a very, very small church. We were, we were hardly going to, well, we weren't going to be able to survive. God was going to have to do something because they were going to pay us $60 a week. And I know that some of you young people are thinking, well, maybe you could have survived. No, 1982 was not the Depression or anything like that, you know. <laughs> $60 a week was nothing. And I, I remember, I know people thought we were crazy. People thought, I mean, I know, people that loved Jesus thought we were a little bit crazy, that we were just, we just going to give it up and go. And, and how is that going to work out? And we were like, I don't know. I just feel like God is supposed to do it. And and my parents and Beachy's parents never said that they thought we were crazy, but they might have thought we were a little bit crazy to give it all up and just say, ah. I remember we were in our very last service in our um, church in Rock Island, Rock Island um, Assembly of God, and I was, um, we always came early on Sunday nights. Sunday nights, we, we had two services in the morning, but on Sunday nights, we love Sunday nights. And so we would go so we could get a seat up front. But we had been packing, so we can't have come in at the last minute. So we were up in the balcony, and I was at the very edge of the balcony. The balcony was right here. And I remember, <laughs> I remember singing the song, and I thought, 
oh my gosh, I kind of feel like God, I kind of feel like we're taking a step off this balcony and if you don't catch us, we're, there is no way this is gonna work. And you know what? I could, I, maybe you'd like to hear me say, we got there and God just provided all this money and it was easy. And it was not. And it was not. But you know what? It's like we took a step of faith and God met us there. We took another step of faith and God met us there. And you know what? In your own life, you're going to have to take some steps of faith. And sometimes people will try and talk you out of it or give you lots of reasons not. But if you know in your heart, if you know in your heart, sometimes you need counsel and you go to somebody that loves Jesus, has some wisdom, get some counsel. But sometimes we listen to the crowd. And they're saying, well, that's the stupidest thing ever. Just like back here. Yet God led them to victory. It didn't happen on day one. It didn't happen on day two. But they had to keep doing the right thing. And you know what? They... Each step they took brought them closer to the miracle that they had ahead of them, didn't it? So in our case, sometimes we have to do that. So today I want to ask you, what is God speaking to you about? What are you believing God for that there's no way that it can happen except God make it happen? See, I want to challenge you to do what that old farmer did and put on your waders and take a step of faith. Is God saying to you, go back to school? And you are saying, yeah, that's a great idea, God, but I, there's no way. Why not start researching and, and buy yourself some pencils? Get yourself ready, whatever you have to do, right? If you're believing for a job, why not start getting ready for that job? Start dressing like you're ready for that job. Maybe if you're, if you're concerned you, you might not interview well, find somebody that's in business and say, could, could I come in and you just interview me like I would maybe have when somebody comes to give me a job? Maybe it's taking a step of faith right here at GT. You know, sometimes you're sitting there and we talk about all the opportunities of you know, maybe being a small group leader or being a teacher or a helper in the kids' department or, or being a greeter or being, being an usher and you're sitting there and saying, yeah, but I don't have my life together. And I want to say, none of us have it all together. If you wait for you ha to, you have it all together, you'll never do anything. Sometimes you just have to take a step. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to find out, how, how do I go about doing that? See, God is waiting for you. See, sometimes we are sitting back and saying, God, I don't get, why aren't you doing anything? And he's saying, I'm waiting for you to take one step. Well, take one step, and then I will meet you. I will meet you. You know what? God is a way maker, isn't he? Diva was speaking in the praise team. I'm like, I want you to sing that again. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He is the one that can do the miraculous, but he sometimes is waiting for you to take the first step. 
just pray right now. You know, one of the first steps that you need to take in your life, if you don't know Jesus, is to take a step forward. And the cool thing is, all God expects you to do is ask Him in your heart, and He just will help you in every way after that. If you'll just pray after me, Father God, I come to you because I need you. I admit I have sinned, and I ask you to forgive me of every sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. Amen. Amen. You know, I, um, it's rare that I look at my phone in between um, services, but I moved my bag and I saw my phone had, been, had lit up and there was actually something on it. And I pulled it out and someone had to work today, but they had listened to the first service. And um, they sent me a quote that their daughter had come home with this week. And I just want to share it with you. It's Martin Luther King Jr. And here's what he said. Take the first step of faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase just to take the first step. And isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? How about if you just stand and I'm going to pray over you right now? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the way maker. You are the promise keeper. You are a miracle worker. And God, give us the faith to take steps to prove you. And God, we just pray that we, our faith each and every day will just grow as we grow closer to you and we take yet another step. We might not be sure how it's going to work out, but how about if we take one step? God, we want to trust you more. And God, I just believe in God that we're going to have testimony, testimony, testimony of your power and, and your goodness. And God, we're going to hear about it because they're telling others about what you're doing. And God, we are thankful. We are thankful. God, I know there's people here that are in desperate situations right now. And God, we know you are the one that can meet the needs. And we just pray together as a group of people. We love each other and we're believing God for your miraculous touch and uh, the faith to reach out and do one more thing that maybe we are afraid to do. And God, thank you for giving us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week. Love you.